Welcome, everybody, to the Local Control Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Ravella. And on this show, we try to take the perspective and learn about how local government officials and local communities participate in and help manage and uh, make decisions about the American shoreline. And I am really pleased today to have as a guest a city commissioner from the town of Topsail Beach, North Carolina, Steve Smith. Steve, thank you for taking time to talk to us at the Local Control Podcast, and welcome to the show. And uh, we want to thank our sponsor, uh, Steve, the Dune Restoration Company, Dune Doctors, out of Pensacola, Florida, uh, led by Frederic Barrasset, a great professional. So for all the dune restoration work over there on Topsail Island, you know, maybe give Frederic a call at dunedoctors.com. I understand you'd like to know a little more about Topsail Beach. Uh, It's a community that has about 350 full-time residents. But during our summer months, we move up to about 8,000 residents. Uh, We've got about seven miles of shoreline. Uh, that uh, we enjoy and we feel very blessed to have in in terms of where we're at on the island. Mm-hmm. And Topsail Beach is located on Topsail Island. It's one of three communities on the island. Uh, as a town, we were formed back in 1963, but we've had people living on the island really since the early 50s. Uh, town likes to be considered one of the most family friendly beaches, and uh, we like the title of Mayberry by the Sea. Indeed, it is a fabulous town. I've had the pleasure of being there. Uh, On the North Carolina shoreline, whereabouts is Topsail Island, and uh, what county are you in? We're in Pender County, and uh, we're about, as the crow would fly, about 12 miles north of Wilmington, Hmm. North Carolina. Wonderful town. I think, would you say the off-season population, um, what was the number? About 350 full-time residents. 350. And in the summertime, 8,000. About 8,000. We have a little over 1,400 homes that are rented uh, to all the people that like to come and spend time at the beach. So we have a large rental community of homes on, on, on our section of the island. Wonderful. But it's very uh, family-oriented. We have uh, a small business area, but it's it's limited to just a couple of restaurants and a fishing pier and a few other little goodies like that, including a, a museum and a building that can hold uh, wedding receptions and so forth that dates back to 1946 and to Operation Bumblebee, right. which was a secret missile program here on Topsail Beach. I'm familiar with that. Uh, One of the great things about the history of that island is they were, I think, learning to, uh, what was it, rockets or missiles? uh, Right. They were developing the ramjet engine. So they fired about 200 rockets from uh, Topsail Beach north up the island. Uh, Eventually, the program was so successful and the rockets were overshooting the target. And they started to, people started to take notice of it. They had to move the program uh, away from the island, and part of it went down to Cape Canaveral. Another part went out mm. west uh, 
uh, Edwards Air Force Base. Well, the military history in that part of the North Carolina coast is long established. Camp Lejeune, just right up at the north end of the island and over onto the mainland, uh, is the base of operations for a lot of the uh, United States Marine Corps combat forces, isn't it? Uh, that's correct. And if you date back in the history, we had Camp Davis during World War II over at Holly Ridge, which was which was part of the whole military complex back during World War II. And what's left of that today is Camp Lejeune. Wow. So Mayberry by the Sea, it must be a challenge to manage a town that goes from uh, about 300 people in the off-season to 8,000 in the uh, summer season. What kind of challenges does that present for you as a, as a local government uh, in general and as a county uh, or a city commissioner in particular? Well, we're, we're fortunate in that uh, the county does try to assist us in many ways, but we have to run the town as if we're going to have 8,000 people here all the time. So that means anything that we want to do to any of the infrastructure, we got to be thinking of the 8,000 people, anything we do with the roads, uh, the beaches, how do we accommodate the parking and other things that go on with that many people coming to a little community. Uh, We've been very fortunate that we've had some very proactive ways of looking at tax structures. And uh, many years ago, we even separated our tax structure so that we have what we keep to run the town, but we set aside a little over about 12 cents uh, for uh, our beach programs. That includes the inlet. That includes our... uh, uh, sound as well as taking care of the beach. Mm-hmm. So we've been able to generate enough money in coordination with state programs and with federal programs that allow, have allowed us to move from what, what some people used to call beach nourishment to we are, we, we are in the storm mitigation process where we understand what it takes to maintain a beach for public, you know, that really is a national park, but also gives the added protection that allows our community to enjoy those benefits of uh, reduced insurance costs and so forth. Indeed. For our homeowners. Well, I think a lot of people around the country don't fully understand how these beaches are managed and how much they cost to manage. And I think a lot of people assume that, uh, Local governments uh, sit back and wait for federal funds or state funds or someone to come and rescue them. And uh, the reason I think, Steve, uh, I wanted to speak with you is I know how much time and energy uh, the town of Topsville Beach has put into its shoreline management program to maintain a wide, healthy beach, as you say, to protect infrastructure, but also for, for the public to come and enjoy from all over the country. And um, you mentioned $0.12 cents per $100 value. So for folks over here in, in other states where they do uh, an amount per $1,000 value, this is, uh, in your community, $0.12 cents per $100 value or what would be $1.20 per $1,000 value is dedicated uh, from the city's tax base into a fund specifically for your shoreline management Um how much does that generate a year, and and uh, what is your total ad valorem tax rate in in Topsail Beach? 
our, our total is around 32 cents per hundred. Mm. Uh, when we look at what it generates per year, uh, you know, we look at not only what we get from ad valorem, we also dedicate uh, occupancy tax that we collect for the rentals and so forth. So we'll, we'll generate, depending on how busy the seasons are, and we also get support from the county between f- uh, four to six million dollars annually that can go in, into this mm. fund. Wow. So for the listeners out there, just think about that for just a second. Twelve cents per hundred dollar value out of thirty-two cents per hundred dollar value. So you're more than a third of your tax base is dedicated to the beach. And a town of three hundred people, permanent residents, is putting four to five million dollars a year into a fund to manage your shoreline. I think that's a fantastic accomplishment. Uh, you no, know, it's not just the three hundred residents, it all the property owners contribute. So those rental rental properties also have to contribute their portion as well. Indeed. To help maintain the beaches. So all, you know, a little over, like like I said, almost 1500 homes Mm. or properties are contributing to to this, to these funds. It's a fantastic commitment. And I know you've had a long and successful shoreline management program uh, in place now for what, about Seven, eight years or so, or has it been longer? Well, we're, we're now probably in the uh, 10, 10 to 12-year mark now. Okay. Time seems to go very quick from once <laughs> we started this program, and we started this back uh, around 2008, 2009. Right. In terms of looking at a 30-year program. I mean, we, we've also been working with uh, the Corps of Engineers on a federal project, but uh, as we all know, money has gotten very tight, and as a community, we felt maintaining our beaches was uh, was a not only from a safety standpoint, but from a business standpoint, and uh, any and just for pure enjoyment, we had to put it first. So, right. town put together its program, and we call it our private plan thirty year, and that's what we've been implementing. Right. So you have your you have your own coastal engineers that you hire. You handle all of the construction engineering contracting. Uh, I know you uh, the, the state, of course, is a contributor, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, but this is a locally run program in a town with a very lean uh, local government. That, uh, right. How many departments, how many city staff are there in Topsail Beach? Well, there's only... Uh, Total, when we look at the, you know, this includes our police department, our, our fire department, which is uh, manned by mostly volunteers, and then our public works department and administration. We have basically about 26, 27 people. Mm. Uh, right. And it, like you said, it is very lean, if but it, it's geared toward the type of community we want. Uh, it's we do add interns and other support during the high season to help with a few things. So, uh, you know, we, we try to manage it in a way that's cost effective, but right. also gives us the atmosphere that we want in our community. Well, it's a fantastic uh, example of smart, efficient, directed leadership uh, in a barrier island community and uh, one of my favorite towns on the American shoreline, Topsail Beach and yeah. Topsail Island. You know, uh, so one, I, one of the, I say things that have happened over the last uh, four years is the state uh, 
took a different look at the coastal infrastructure and started understanding that our waterways, our coastal waterways for our fishermen, for our boaters, is no different than uh, a paved highway. And so uh, an inlet fund was put together to help communities keep inlets open, and that aided and assisted our community in that we could uh, use some of that fund, which we, we have to match, but it allows us to remove that sand and put it back up on our beaches, but we also have a, uh, an inlet that allows people access to the ocean as well as getting back into the safe waters of the intercoastal waterway and so forth. Yep. So there's, there's a lot of things that have happened within the state, within the county, and within our, our, our town government that have aided and assisted us. And we've, we've tried to be forward thinking and not looking back to what might be, right. look forward to what could, what could be. Well, it has worked. And I think that recognition by the state of the broader public interest in coastal waterways and coastal shorelines, beaches in particular, is a critical first step toward having a successful shoreline management program in a community. Um, Pender County should get a big pat on the back for their involvement and support for uh, the Town of Topsail Beaches program. And it's what I've seen work successfully is this multi-layers of government working together, including the property owners on the barrier island and everybody trying to pull in the same direction to take on what can seem like an overwhelming problem. Um, This is where I think one of the things that we've done, and I know other communities, is we have a what we call a beach inlet and sound uh, committee. And it's made up of private citizens as well as uh, one or two commissioners, and basically they become the guiding force behind how we want to manage in the programs that we pull together and mm-hmm. helping uh, the, the full town understand uh, the different programs that might come available as well as how to make sure we're, we're not uh, overtaxing ourselves, uh, not only in manpower, but in money right. to get, get done what we need to get done. So this committee is extremely important to how we manage and uh, look forward to what's going on in, with our beaches and inlets and sound. Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think uh, when you look at successful barrier island communities tackling this complex problem, public support is absolutely essential. And that means having mechanisms to communicate with the public to, and to have the participation and insight of the community. And uh, that committee that you've set up, I think, is a model. Uh, there are several like it in on the North Carolina shoreline. Uh, and I think it works great. I agree. I think you have to have that. Uh, people need to understand the investment that's being made and why and uh, be a part of it. I think people lose sight that being that we have this public beach, it's a national resource and it's a national park uh, that the state has a responsibility for as well as our community. And a lot of people have had to back up and look at this from the benefit that it brings to the state in terms of income for tourism and so forth and rethink. It's just like uh, one of the, the changes in thought processes, everybody you know, worries about, oh, you're just putting money to move sand, but think about every year we put money just to move snow. Yes. 
so when you start looking at things mm -hmm. from, a, from a different perspective, they take on uh, a, a different way of how to get things done. And a lot of people now, I think, are recognizing the benefits that it brings uh, not only to the people who own land here, but to the rest of the county and the state in terms of uh, the tourism dollars that are brought in to our community. No doubt about it. Uh, I've never heard anybody say in Vail, Colorado, or frankly, any other uh, northern city in the United States, we shouldn't plow this road because it's just going to snow again. I've never heard right. that sentence uttered. But you do hear that when it comes to the beach. We shouldn't right. put this sand where we want it to be to protect our homes and to create this recreational space because it's just going to move. Um, it's interesting, and you're right. I think helping people understand how to uh, appreciate the problem and to understand what tools are available, what's the economically sensible strategy uh, is all part of that community engagement education process to bring people to a deeper understanding of the American shoreline and of Barrier Island beaches in particular. Right. Um, um, you know, one of the things that we've laid out in our program is that we want to get into a five or six year cycle. Mm. We want to give Mother Nature a chance to do her thing. And we want to be there to assist her. But we also don't want to disturb the, the wildlife any more than we have to and so forth. And what we've seen through the, the way that we've been managing it, an increase in wildlife uh, around our town and so forth, uh, whether we talk it in, in the water, on the land, in the air, uh, we have more wildlife and it's been a benefit and a boom for everybody. Beautiful. It can be done and it can be done uh, even by small communities with intelligence. You have a great coastal engineer there, someone I respect a lot. Chris Gibson is, I think, right. done a great job for the town. Uh, smart, financially uh, thoughtful guy, understands the cost of these things and what the capacity of the town is. I think he's done a really Really good job yeah, for the very, community. We're very uh, blessed to have him as part of our group here uh, and so forth because he, he's got a stake in it as well because he lives just across the waterway <laughs> from us. So yeah. if, if it doesn't work here, he's going to have a problem yeah. at his house. So. Well, and everybody at the grocery store will have something to say to him too. <laughs> yep. Uh, you know, but uh, up well, close we, and personal. We, we were blessed with. Uh, from Hurricane Florence was the system worked. Let's uh, talk about that. So let me, uh, for the listeners out there, Hurricane Florence, September 13th through the 15th, I guess, if we can put a date on it, in 2018. So this is just a couple months ago. Right. Uh, made landfall on the North Carolina coast right around Wilmington, I guess it was. And Topsail Beach, I think, was right in the impact zone. Uh, as a Category 1 storm, uh, but a uh, lot of rain and more than 30 inches, tremendous flooding all through North Carolina and the Carolinas and even into Virginia. Uh, 55 people killed directly and indirectly by that hurricane. Um, and it passed over the beach pretty quickly. Um, and Well, that's... You know, what, what, it, it was only moving at two miles an hour. And that's that's the thing when you say the came ashore on the uh, 13th, 14th, and then left on the 15th at two miles an hour. It did not move very quickly 
uh, from us. So we had two full, two definitely full cycles of uh, high tide events and low tide events, plus the wind and the rain from a category one. And it dumped uh, before it was finished almost uh, 25 to 30 inches of rain wow. within our general area. So, I mean, the, the ground was very saturated. And then we had to deal with uh, the hurricane force winds for at least a day and a half to two days before we could actually do any evaluation of what was going on on the island. Well, how did your beach fare in that, you know, those long duration uh, storms and high tides, uh, as you said, two full tidal cycles with hurricane uh, storm surge on top of it. How did your uh, beach do? Have you had enough time to assess what happened on the shoreline? Uh, our, our beach did what it, what it was supposed to do. It, it did, we did sacrifice some of the dune structure, but uh, we only had, uh, I'll say, overwash in two areas. And these were areas that we were expecting something. We knew they were weak, uh, and we had plans to strengthen these areas. We just uh, were going to do that in our next cycle and so forth. But uh, thank goodness the overwash was quite small. It didn't uh, consume but uh, about a dozen homes in terms of uh, losing the, the dune in front of those homes, but the home that we did, did not lose any homes. And that is on a, your beachfront is how long? It's six miles almost? It's between six and seven miles, depending on how you count down at the uh, south end, yeah. how far you want to walk around that south end. Right, right. But that's a long beachfront, uh, right. largely developed, single family homes. One of the things I love about that town is, there's no, uh, there's no chain hotels there, and there are no fast food places. <laughs> I love it, but uh, no, and I don't think beautiful. I don't think in uh, at least the near future you're going to see any of that happen. Well, it's it, but, I mean the beach, the beach. We basically were taken back to where we were at five years ago. Uh, we still have a dune structure. We still have protection. Uh, out of the last six years. This is the first damage we've experienced on any of our crossovers or walk, you know, access points to the beach. Right. Uh, but, you know, we've had other name storms come through, uh, you know, Matthew and Irene yeah. and a few others. Those were meaningful storms, too. And uh, we had no damage. I mean, we were lucky we were not uh, the center of their attention when they came ashore. But, uh, you know, we did have the high tide cycles and, and excessive winds from those storms. But so our, our beach has been doing what it was supposed to do, and it did what it was supposed to do during this time. But Fantastic. You know, two days of hurricane force winds and rain will, will do a lot of damage uh, when you consider that storm was only moving at two miles per hour there once it finally came ashore. Did uh, was Chris Gibson or the have the post storm assessment uh, uh, surveys been completed? Do you have a number yet on how many cubic yards of sand uh, were pulled off of the beach, either on the beach itself or in the dune system? Is there a number yet? I think uh, we're in that uh, five hundred thousand cubic yard area. Okay, that was pulled off. Uh, most of it came off in like I said, about a quarter of a mile stretch uh, was where the bulk of it hmm. came off. And uh, we'll have a, 
we'll have a program to get something back there as soon as possible. I know we've already collected what was washed over and put it back on onto the beach. It's been screened and put back. Uh, and now we're trying to decide uh, how we uh, go ahead and finish that recovery process. Indeed. And, and one of the important uh, aspects of post-storm recovery in barrier island communities is the role of FEMA. And uh, as I recall, that the town was very careful in designing its beach restoration and beach management program so that it qualified for FEMA recovery funds. And uh, one thing a lot of people don't realize when they think about FEMA coming in to Barrier Island communities after these hurricanes is it is less expensive for the federal government to put $500,000 worth of sand on the beach than it is to rebuild an entire town and all the infrastructure costs that go with disaster. And, And it it's why, from a policy standpoint, the federal government participates in post-storm recovery as long as the town is taking the lead, managing their shoreline, has long-term financing in place, and is actively monitoring the beach. And I think, as I understand it, Steve, you guys did all of the right things in order to, to have this positive right. relationship with FEMA. Right. We, we, we have had an engineered beach now for about... Well, 10 years. Uh, and so, and it's been to the town's benefit uh, to do that. And we've already had the assessment. We know what it's going to take to bring the beach back to uh, its post storm. Right. It's going to take about $12 million okay. to bring it back. Uh, but we want to look farther down the road because we had already had it. We, we were already working on our permits and we were waiting for the last permit to take our beach to its uh, ultimate design in terms of storm mitigation and protection. Mm-hmm. We want to try to combine what when we uh, try to repair the storm damage, we want, to, we want to go ahead and finish what we were planning to do anyway. Okay. And put it all together uh, for the full length of the beach. Is the town in a financial position to, to take on this next phase of the project? With, uh, with the support that we've been assured that we're going to get from FEMA, those dollars, the support that uh, we've already had committed from the state, and the money that we have already put away, we are very comfortable to get this done. That is fantastic. And uh, in a lot of Barrier Island communities that haven't uh, – been required or forced or had the foresight to take on this problem uh, in you know on the ground, which means getting the permits, getting the engineers, finding the sand, you know all of the process, putting the money together. Uh, you guys have done that. I think it's uh, it's a good indication that when you're first approaching a problem of this magnitude, it can feel very overwhelming. There's a sense of futility that can come into play in a community that is just too much for us to handle. Uh, and I, that's why I think, Steve, the the effort that you guys have put forward without an engineering department, right, without a big staff, I think right. if you took out the firefighters and the police, the town staff is fewer than 10, Uh and and managed to take on a complicated problem, multiple-year financial commitment, a big capital program, and have done it successfully. 
uh, I think it gives other communities something to look at and to understand and to learn from because it's it's quite well done there. You know what? You know. The, the way you describe it is like we, we didn't have any disagreements, but we've had our disagreements <laughs> within the community. I, I do uh, recall I'm some sure, of those. I'm sure you're aware, you know, there are those within the community that were for managing and helping maintain our beaches. And there was those in our community that felt that we should just l- let Mother Nature do what uh, she might want to do with our coastline. And there was a lot of, I'll yeah. say, open discussion. Yeah. Uh, Several committees, uh, groups were pulled together, and when all everybody got a chance to say what they wanted to say, and we still hear from now, from time to time, from different people. But the decision was made by our town fathers back then to uh, go ahead, if they, because of the long-term implications of what it meant for uh, the the value of the property here, the businesses, the atmosphere, everything. When you looked at it, it was became the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it wasn't without a little pushing and pulling from a lot of different directions that, and, but we ended up with people that, uh, local citizens that brought their own talents, uh, to this, uh, what I mentioned earlier, the BIS, we've had, you know, we've got engineers, lawyers, and environmentalists who have retired here on the Island. And many of them have taken an active part in helping, uh, be part of several of the committees and providing their own insight and expertise along with uh, our coastal engineer, Chris Gibson, and a few others that have allowed us to do what we've done. And, uh, and like I mentioned earlier, we're not thinking just about where we're at today. We want to know where we're going to be at 10 years from now. Mm-hmm. So there, there's issues that are out there now with, that we're already discussing is how do we deal with sea level rise right uh, it's you know we're not concerned why it's happening we just know that it is happening so what does that make us do with our beach beach program do we have to modify it what changes do we have to put in place right how do, how do we deal with those kind of issues those, those are the kind of questions we've already started asking within our uh, committee and on our town board wow And uh, that is really, of course, the National Climate Assessment Report from the United States government was released on Friday. And uh, I've taken a look through it. It's a very big, thorough report. This is our top scientist who who released this analysis. This is, I say, this is the fourth one. It's not an annual report. It comes out when they think they've got enough to say. And it is hard to read that and not have a little trepidation about what is going to happen in the future on the American shoreline. Um, they, scientists don't have the luxury of trying to sort out what's politically workable. They have the opposite problem. They've got to tell the truth, count the numbers, and let everybody know what they're seeing. And the, uh, the sea level rise challenge for barrier island communities, I think, is going to be substantial over the next 10 years. Little doubt about that. And really put a premium on the kind of leadership that you guys have shown. Um, it's, I'm not sure how we're going to solve this as a country. I think it's going to get quite expensive. And uh, I think local governments will play a key role, kind of the point of the spear, in the decision-making at the local level. Do you um, 
What do you foresee coming down the road um, for your town when you start looking at this bigger picture of sea level rise? I, I think you, I think we, we have to look look at the total thing, and, and, and this is not not just a coastal problem. This is a problem for the communities inland because they're going to be dealing with. Uh, they may not be dealing with uh, sea level rise, but they're going to be dealing with uh, increased rainfall or no rainfall. And if it's increased rainfall, how do they deal with the storm runoff and things right. like that? So it becomes an issue for a lot of people. But you've got to start looking at your infrastructure, the basic infrastructure. If if you're going to end up with more water, how do you protect the infrastructure or can it be protected? Right. And I think these are some of the harder questions that uh, we're starting to ask uh, Road design. Uh, in 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 the past, uh, you you wanted to repave the road. You might come in and uh, grade off uh, part of the road and then repave it back to the same height. Maybe we don't want to do that anymore. Maybe we just need to fix it and raise the height as we're paving it, mm-hmm. uh, so that we change the impact of uh, storm runoff and so forth, so it doesn't sit on the roads. Fantastic. As we put in, as we put in new infrastructure, whether it be for water or se- or sewer or septic, think about where uh, the water table is going to be. So, are there other changes that you can put in, or other systems that will protect you over that long term? And you've got to you've got to get a community that's behind you. Right. So they've got to start understanding that some of the things privately they need to do with their homes and things like that, and then. There may be some places you're pro- we're probably going to have to say we can't protect. Uh, and that's the hard decision. Indeed. That uh, may have to be decided on a few places. And But it's not just a coastal issue. You look at the rivers. You look at uh, inland areas where, the, where we have more people, less space for the water to run off. Those become very uh, big issues when we talk about flash flooding. Right. Well, I think uh, Hurricane Florence demonstrated the risks that extend well inland from the uh, coastline of the United States. And people are fond of talking about, uh, boy, shouldn't we just all get off of the barrier islands? And I understand that sentiment. But if you're trying to understand the risks and the appropriate policy responses, you can't just talk about the barrier islands. There were substantial flooding impacts on within a for the first what 100 miles inland yep from hurricane florence that were more severe the the damages and the death of her, from hurricane florence were not on the coast primarily they the cost they of that storm most, was inland most inland uh and you know even today two months after hurricane florence came ashore uh where the coastal communities are rebuilding and things are getting you know getting back to a new normal yeah. The inland communities are, st- are still faced with uh, additional flooding. I mean, just just this past weekend yep. with the additional rain that came down, the land is already saturated. It had to run somewhere and it ran into the rivers. And so they've had additional flooding in many areas along uh, the news, the Cape Fear, the Black River and so forth. Yeah. Uh, and so they're continuing to feel the impacts from Hurricane Florence while we we haven't seen those type of things on our, our our little island. Yeah. Well, how let's talk a little bit about the last ten weeks because I think we're just about ten weeks past uh, 
Hurricane Florence. Um, there's a federal component to what happens here in the post-storm universe. There is the state role, uh, the county and the local government. How is everybody working together? What do you think so far? Is it, uh, has it gotten to where you want it to be? I, I think all, all in all for our town, things have gone extremely well. I mean, are, are there areas that need to be improved? And it's, the, you know, it's part of it is the bureaucracy or the paperwork. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that has posed some, I'll say, challenges for, for many of the communities as well, as well as I. It's become a very time-consuming. Yeah. The other part uh, for some of the communities is the funding of, the, the recovery, the clean, the cleaning up. Uh, right now, FEMA is, is you you submit your bills and your so forth, and then they reimburse you. Uh, right. There's many communities that don't have the financial backing to do that that way. So I think from a federal standpoint, we've got to look at how we federal government helps communities that are entitled to FEMA uh, support uh, in terms of the funding so that they don't uh, jeopardize their own, the, the town or, or county's own financial uh, right. position. Because the time... That's, that, that has probably been one of the biggest things that uh, I've seen for many of the communities around us as, as we're all dealing with it from a federal side, from a, from a state. The state's kind of tied to what FEMA says but I mean, they are bringing their own resources, and yep. when we need, if we've needed something, the state has stepped up and tried to support us. Yeah, it is a complicated uh, environment, I'll say, and I think uh, it's easy to to second guess what happens federally. But I think the point you're making is one we've heard in other post hurricane shows is the. The bureaucratic complexity is very difficult to contend with. We have, in, in our prior work in coastal uh, consulting, been part of the development of uh, uh, project worksheets and assessments and getting documents turned into FEMA. Uh, they work real hard to try to make that possible, but there are just a million transactions, and I don't think that's an exaggeration. And for Hurricane Florence, there are certainly a million or more transactions that have to be processed, understood, and documented. And like you say, the local community has to front the cost of a lot of this stuff. And and then later, things can even out. But financially, that's a that's a that can be a pretty big that's a, that's pill a pretty to big swallow. Bite. Yeah. For a lot of communities to take on, right? Uh, we're we're Topsail Beach is fortunate. I mean, we that we do have some financial reserves that we have put together through the years. Uh, understanding that we live in a coastal environment that gets hurricanes, we have put aside more than required by laws for these types of emergencies. So we we're in, in good shape. But you know, how long can you stay that way? Uh, till you get reimbursed and so forth that you know that process is, as you said uh, takes some time and I think that's the real concern here and when I've talked to other other towns within the county and on the island the, they have a real problem because they didn't have the financial uh, abilities that we have right 
Well, I think it's, I would like to have someone from FEMA on at some point. I know in the middle of these recoveries, they don't have time to do this, but uh, I, I would like to help um, the listeners out there understand uh, what happens after these hurricanes in this time period we're in now, 60 days to six months and a year later. The recovery process, we all watch CNN, you know, we all watched Hurricane Florence. I know I was was riveted to the TV when it hit Category 4 on September 10th, and the beeline was right toward Topsail Island. I thought, my gosh, this is going to be a tragedy. And so I think everybody was focused on that initial uh, storm track coming across the Atlantic. Right. There was a lot of coverage with the rain and the, all, you know, all the standard stuff that we do in hurricane coverage. And then things quiet down and we get into the hard work of recovery. And that's where we want to focus our attention on how it works for local governments and, and how our federal folks are doing and uh, try to help people understand this process. And uh, one of the things I want to ask you about is people see big numbers all the time, hurricane recovery, a billion dollars here, this, you know, lots of money flying around. Um, when you're a local government official in a post-storm hurricane recovery situation, what does the federal government help you pay for? Can you help us understand that? And uh, I mean, not <laughs> that's we, a complicated you know, they don't question. Hundred percent of everything, and that's one of the things people have got to understand. Uh, they will help us with the debris collection. That right. means getting uh, the stuff picked up. Uh, trees and other type of storm-related vegetation damage. Right. We will get reimbursed for that. We will get reimbursed for the construction uh, items that people put out on the curb. That's right. the sofas and the couches, as well as the drywall and things like that. Right. Everything gets piled along the they road and aisles and so forth. Dump and trucks come it, and the we get reimbursed for that uh, if. Uh, and that includes if we use any of our our town labor or whether we use contract labor, they, that, that we get reimbursed for that. But then you start talking, uh, if you have an engineered FEMA engineered beach, then you get some support for that. Right. So and then there may be a few other dollars for some of the emergency equipment and things like that, that you have, that may need some repair, you bring out that, and then that's about it. That's about it. And and people think, you know, boy, the federal government walks into town and hands everybody in town whose house got beat up a $10,000 check or something. That has not happened at all. No. And when you look at a town like Surf City, immediately to the north of you, that does not have, I don't think, a, an engineered beach in the sense no, of they don't. They, which is a FEMA-qualified, maintained, monitored, financed program of shore management, they lost, I would assume, hundreds of thousands of cubic yards of sand, and there will yeah. be no federal reimbursement for them. No. Um, if it, you look at uh, mm -hmm. our $12 million becomes about $55, $56 million for Surf City to bring their beach back. And they— to, It's, uh, it's pre-storm— 
situation. Yeah. Uh, Longer beach, uh, greater damage. I've looked at the before and after photographs from way up at the north end of the island there, right. North Topsail Beach, and there is no doubt that of the three communities on Topsail Island, uh, Topsail Beach, your town, fared the best in terms of the condition of the shoreline. As you go north, it is it gets increasingly worse, increasingly more expensive, and uh, and, yep. and I think less financial capacity to reply to respond to this event. Yeah. I mean, uh, they, you know, I think everybody in our community, as well as the other communities, look at what happened at Topsail Beach, and they're very grateful for the efforts that have been put forth because we did uh, keep the property damage down. Now, losing shingles and other roofing material and sure. water penetration through the roof, we yeah. can't do a whole lot about no. And when you get uh, two days of constant hurricane force winds and rain, yeah. you're going to lose some roofs like that. For sure. Uh, just, they just wear out with just, uh, just constant abuse. Indeed. Uh, you know, in one sense, if it had been a normal hurricane, and came ashore and ran right across at 15, 20 miles an hour, uh, I don't think we would have seen as, as many of the homes that had water penetration through the roof uh, like we did after two days of getting beat upon right. with this storm. Man. So where does the town go from here in the recovery process? Or um, what's, what's left priority. on your list? Okay. We put things in kind of a priority. What, what's important for the town uh, and, and, you know, and that includes what the citizens tell us and so forth. Uh, you know, they want their beach, they want their beach cleaned up. They want it back. They want the debris picked up off the side of the road. So those become high, higher priority things that we can use the con a contractor for, uh, our, our town employees focus on the things that are important to the town, the water system, uh, the access points to the beach, uh, our road network, they pull those type of issues uh, and items back first. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's some coordination in terms of how you manage it uh, through our town manager uh, and our public works. But uh, people let you know what's important to them the the homes many of the homes it's it's, it's a process you, you don't find enough contractors to come in and help repair a home so you got to look at this as you know it's not a one or two month thing this is a 12 to 18 month cycle in order to get back to where we were prior to the storm and that it's that includes any of the financial issues you have to deal with as well as bringing any of the infrastructure back to pre-storm dates. It's right. a lot of people think it happens magically within a, a day or two. It doesn't. No, uh -huh. it's months. And, you know, the, the county's got a lot of issues we, uh, because of the flooding they've got to deal with. And, you know, we, you know, the, those families and so forth. And the, you've got people, the emotions are high. Uh, people are tired, and so you've got to deal with those kind of issues as well. Right. So there's a lot of things going on when you're coming out of a storm like this because everybody's needs are important, uh, but you've got to start putting some priorities so that you get those things done that 
satisfy public health and public safety first. Boy, I tell you, that's a, a great reminder. Uh, I would imagine it is exhausting. We're we're coming up on the holidays. People have been dealing with just getting their houses habitable and contractors and clearing and all of this stuff. Uh, and you're trying to think about Thanksgiving and Christmas. I would imagine there's an emotional exhaustion that comes with it. And uh, it's, you know, this is where government at the local level is the right place. There's no other place where that kind of consideration can be factored in except with local elected officials who, you know, your community and you know, your town and uh, you can look out for each other. You know, one of the things that a lot of people, when the storm was coming, uh, coming, as you mentioned, it was rated at a category four. Yeah. And I, when I was preparing to leave the island that Thursday morning, it was still rated at a Category 4. So yeah. having seen storms here numerous times, you know, you take a look around and you say you're not sure what's going to be here when you come back. Yeah. Because you, this is this is home. But a lot of people left and went to places they thought were safe only to find out the they were in great, um, uh, bigger danger from the flooding and the rain that came with this storm uh, than they had over here on the island. So yeah. you've got a lot of things where they thought they were safe and they lost all their vehicles or they lost not only their home here on the island in terms of water penetration or they lost, they were flooded out in the homes that they were in on the mainland. Man. So you've got, a, you've got several tragedies that are going on in many families and in, in many locations. So you, you've got to take notice of that and understand uh, how people are going to deal with this thing. And hopefully the insurance companies and yeah. where FEMA flood insurance can kick in because uh, not every home qualifies and not everybody takes advantage of, of those particular That's right. uh, programs. And, y- you know, uh, I think it's, it's, this is a storm that I think we forgot very quickly, uh, Hurricane Florence. It was followed within a matter of weeks by Hurricane Michael in the Florida panhandle that did strike as a Category 4 and has been possibly reevaluated to a 5 right. and absolutely demolished the town of Mexico Beach and substantial. I, this is the thing that strikes me about Hurricane Michael was it was a Category 3 when it reached Georgia. It was a major hurricane well over the inland part of the United States right. and just the devastation is huge. And then we had the election and then we had the California wildfire season, the tragedy of that experience. And, uh, you know, it's good to pause and, and, and thank the, the, the people who, who hang in there afterward at, you know, the local elected officials and the community leaders who do the very difficult work of trying to staple together the lives of their community uh, in the face of these huge tragedies. Yeah. I think one of the things that uh, we had, we, I'll say we did learn in terms of how you deal with storms or other emergency situations is the whole communication network. I mean, uh, there was a meeting two weeks ago where all the towns uh, along coastal North Carolina came together and there was a chance to talk about Hurricane Florence and almost every town 
said the biggest problem they had was communicating with <laughs> their residents. Wow. Uh, and what we saw was the, the whole infrastructure of cell phones, the cell phone towers, the Internet system, uh, and even some of the state radio systems, they all had moments of failure, some just for hours and some it felt like days. It almost felt like a week some days where the systems just wouldn't were not working or were not working up to the capacity, the signal strength, and so forth. So you couldn't really communicate. And it became a very frustrating part for everybody. Uh, right. The people, uh, citizens wanted to know about their what was going on. And those of us in the, I'll say the town or county government, we couldn't even get the word out because and find out what was going on in other parts because the systems had failed. And so one of the wow. post-storm things that we're all looking at is how to improve this communication. We've become a, a nation of very instant feedback with social media. Yep. And that's that has its drawbacks, but it also has its good good side. So how do how do we solve this? Because it became a real sore spot for many of us uh, during the storm and even after the storm. Right. I mean it, it took it took several days just to get the tel all the telephone systems back up and running. Uh, and I can imagine what happened down in Florida was 10 times worse than what we saw around here in terms of that type of infrastructure. Yeah. Well, it's a key to it. And uh, I don't know what I'm sure the smartest people around try to sort out a better way. But uh, in Steve, I want to thank you for your time and and ask one last thing for small barrier island communities around the American shoreline down to Florida and up around the Gulf coast. And, uh, I think local governments around the United States, uh, that have the joy, pleasure and benefit of being on the shoreline. Uh, it's a challenging environment. You've been at it for a number of years. Is there a trick of the trade, uh, in being a, a coastal, leader, a coastal elected official, what, what would you say to the, the other communities that are just maybe starting down the path you guys have been down on trying to tackle shoreline issues? I think you got you to gotta learn how to use the talent you have in your community. They, they will help you get what you need uh, if they understand what the real problem is. They'll help you find that right solution and guide you and guide you down that path so use the talents you have locally ask ask the questions get them involved get your citizens involved and they'll help you solve yeah. the problem well i think that's a great point to end on uh steve smith city commissioner for the town of topsail beach north carolina thank you very much steve for taking the time to talk to the local control podcast Thanks, everybody, for listening in. We'll see you next time.